So what is literally happening when you get this diagnosis? What does it mean? Yeah, so your mast cells are a type of immune cell and they're found all throughout your body. So you can find them in most of your organs, your tissues, your bone marrow, near all the mucosal surfaces in your body, which is where the inside and outside world meet, like your nose, your eyes, your GI tract. And so what happens is there's two main types of mast cell conditions. And one type is called mastocytosis. And what happens when you have that is that basically your body produces too many mast cells and they kind of build up in your skin, your bones, your tissues, your GI tract, and they cause symptoms for you. When you have mast cell activation syndrome, you have a normal number of mast cells, but they become hypersensitive and hyperreactive. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. All right. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. Uh, we have with us today a special guest, someone who is on our team here at FDN. She has been on before. Her name is Nicole Doobie. And we did talk about the thing we're going to talk about today uh, a little bit before, but we're really going to dive in today and then explain how the FDN approach can help it. So if you're wondering what that thing is, it is mast cell activation syndrome. And I keep forgetting to do this. I seem so inconsistent with my intros, Nicole, but I always forget yeah. if someone's hearing us for the first time, um, I want to introduce you, but it's also good to know who the heck's this kid that doesn't shut up. Um, I'm no one special <laughs> in particular. I, I did have seven different diagnosed conditions at the age of 18, and I kind of realized I needed to figure something out. And eventually that thing for me was FDN. So the FDN methodology is by far the thing that supported me the most in my healing. And um, now they can't get rid of me, right? And now I come on and just, I love sharing other people's stories because as much as we can get into the science, which ironically today, we probably will get more into that. I think the stories are what inspire people first, right? We need to hear from other individuals that they have been through what we've been through. They have overcome it. And then once we inspire them, that's when we can teach them the how, right? But first they need to know the what, like this, this is even possible. So let's read a little bit about our friend Nicole here. Uh, okay. Like many practitioners, Nicole discovered her passion for holistic health and nutrition through her own health challenges. Over two decades of working in high-stressed, fast-paced government jobs took a toll on her health, and she experienced a range of health challenges, everything from autoimmune disease, mast cell activation syndrome, and POTS. She knew she needed to change how she was living, so she became hooked on everything nutrition and wellness, so much so that she decided to return to graduate, uh, graduate school and turn her passion into a profession. She subsequently came to FDN and found functional lab testing to be the missing piece in both her own healing and her private practice. Nicole is a state certified dietitian nutritionist, certified nutrition specialist, board certified holistic nutritionist, and FDNP. She has been in private practice for over a decade, helping people recover from MCAS, histamine intolerance, and autoimmunity. Her mission is to teach people to approach healing holistically, addressing body, mind, and spirit in order to give the body the tools it needs to begin healing. Nicole, welcome back to the show, my friend. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I always love hanging out with you, Ev. So yeah, we have, we have a good time. We were just on a workshop uh, together last week. So if you are live with us and you tune in, feel free to ask any questions. If you're checking this out afterwards and you're like, I missed them live, uh, drop a comment on YouTube or Facebook, wherever you're watching this. We do have staff that will get back to those things. We're happy to help you guys. Um, if you are in the audio version of this and it's long been recorded, then what you can do is reach out to us at FDN training on Instagram. And we have wonderful people there that can also help you. So a lot of fun stuff to do. Uh, Nicole, one thing I want to recognize before we dive in today's topic, I think this is a testament uh, to the type of people that we have here. You're, you're no dummy, right? You got a great background in this <laughs> stuff. You are highly educated and not only choose to pursue FDN or chose to pursue FDN, but you're here with us. So um, with all the other things that you've been through certification wise and education wise, why this? Is this really just that great? Or was it like a final uh, piece of the cake for you in terms of getting this all together? Yeah, it's a great question. It was a little bit of both. I think it was what I was missing in my private practice and for me personally, because the FDN approach really allows you to uncover those hidden stressors, right? That's the whole point of the training and using those functional labs so that you're not guessing of what's going on with you. You actually find out what are those underlying pieces to your healing puzzle. And that's when you start to propel yourself forward and really gain some healing. So for me, I found that it was just that that missing piece in my work with clients to really help me dive deeper and figure out for because we're all unique, we're all different. We all have come from different backgrounds, different experiences. And even if you have the same condition, like you have MCAS, you and I both won't experience it experience it exactly the same way, right? We're all bioindividual. So this really, this framework, this methodology really helped me advance my own healing and that of my clients as well. Cool. And again, we have a, a whole podcast with Nicole, which we'll put in the show notes of the audio version of this. Um, possi possibly, sorry, team, we might be able, uh, even able to get the link for that so we can have it in the comments where we touched more on Nicole's story. But you know, many people obviously are not going to click off. They're going to keep listening. So yeah. just to give a, a brief picture here, um, and I, I'm kind of always sorry in a sense to make people like relive this stuff as they tell it, <laughs> but um, you are in a way better place now. Um, than you were before. So when you were kind of in the midst of this health journey, um, can you just describe to people like, what were you experiencing? What was life like at the time? Because I remember when you told me this, it, it was not pretty. No, it was definitely a dark night of the soul kind of experience. And for me, it happened about 10 years ago. And it started, what triggered it for me was a vaccination that I had received and also just a series of really traumatic, traumatic and stressful events that I had gone through. And at the time, I just all of a sudden started to experience reactions, anaphylactic reactions to everything that I ingested, everything I ate, I drank, supplements that I've been taking for years. Um, I started to have cardiac issues. I, I developed something called POTS, where every time I would sit, stand, or walk, I would faint a lot of the times. And so I just, my body started to really break down in so many different ways over the following few months after I'd gotten that vaccination. And so eventually I ended up in the hospital. I was there for about a month. They did the million dollar workup on me, thought I had all different kinds of things like MS. Um, they thought I had lupus. They did different types of testing on me and they couldn't figure it out. Eventually, I ended up at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, where they actually have a mast cell center there. And I was subsequently diagnosed with MCAS and POTS. Uh, and, you know, at the time, I thought, okay, this is fantastic. Like, this is where the healing is going to happen. I have a diagnosis. I know what this is. And, you know, let the healing begin. 
And it's not at all what happened. I was basically just given medications, told to go on disability and learn to live with it, which, you know, really, like I just inherently rejected that, like right from the start, I just knew that wasn't the path forward for myself. And so that's when I started to really dive into functional health and trying to figure out how to give my body what it needed to heal. Because, you know, our bodies have that innate healing ability. You just have to give it the tools that it needs to do that. And so that's what led me down this path. Ultimately. Awesome. And um, I think it's kind of this is why even brief stories are always important on this show because so many people, if, if like I could make everyone in the world listen to what you just said, a lot of people don't get this. You literally just said, I'm so glad I got the diagnosis. Unless you've been through yeah. this stuff, you do not get that because you, right. yeah, we've all been there with a lot of people on the show have described the same thing. Um, and even though we don't diagnose or treat anything specifically right. here, it's not the diagnosis in and of itself. And correct me if I'm wrong. It's not that. It's the validation of how you yes. Yes, it's the validation because for me at the time, I was down to four foods. I couldn't eat anything without going into anaphylaxis. I lost 90 pounds. I couldn't function. I had to take a leave of absence for almost a year from my job. Like I just, it really ripped me out of my life. So when I finally got an answer saying, you have this condition, I was like, great, fix me up. What do we have to do? Give me a met. Like, and that just wasn't the path forward to recovering from it. But, but that's what you, that's why people focus on that. Yeah. And I don't want to ask you a loaded question before we progress here, but something that should be specified because obviously um, the vaccine companies, they can sue us, but we can't sue them. Uh, so just to be clear, you're not saying don't go get vaccines. You're not saying you're anti-vax. No, you're saying this is what happened to all. me. Yep. Exactly. And I think that, and I don't want to go down that road, but I think it's That's, more okay. nuanced. <laughs> I, I think it's more nuanced than either side presents it to be. But what I will say is it triggered the onset. And what I mean by that is, you know, we all have a genetic blueprint, right? We all have our own specific DNA and we're predisposed to different things based on our genetics, whether or not it gets turned on or off, or those genetic mutations get expressed depends on your lifestyle, how you live your life, what you eat, all of that kind of stuff. So this was just a trigger. It wasn't the cause of it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And it wasn't the only thing going on at the time. I had a, a crazy landscape of stress and trauma and all of these different things where I entered into that vaccination, not in a great place, you know? So yeah. yes, I'm absolutely not saying that was the cause. So interesting. There's more nuance to it. It's almost like both sides could have a point like religion it, or politics. Yes, what a crazy concept, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's both sides are right and wrong. That's how I feel about it personally. It's, uh, it's, yeah. I'll stop talking <laughs> well, we before I really to, yeah, get we ourselves. Don't, yeah, we're going to yep. end up talking about Zip that. Zip it up now. before we really get yeah. ourselves kicked off here. Um, exactly. Okay. Nicole, MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome. Um, what? Let's just break this down. I mean, what is that even defined as? What is actually happening? Of course, you can you can hear the words in that acronym and, and try to figure it out. Uh, still confusing to the lay person. So what is literally happening when you get this diagnosis? What does it mean? Yeah, so your mast cells are a type of immune cell and they're found all throughout your body. So you can find them in most of your organs, your tissues, your bone marrow, near all the mucosal surfaces in your body, which is where the inside and outside world meet, like your nose, your eyes, your GI tract. And so what happens is there's two main types of mast cell conditions. And one type is called mastocytosis. And what happens when you have that is that basically your body produces too many mast cells and they kind of build up in your skin, your bones, your tissues, your GI tract, and they cause symptoms for you. 
when you have mast cell activation syndrome, you have a normal number of mast cells, but they become hypersensitive and hyperreactive. Because one of the things that your mast cells does is they release all these inflammatory chemicals like histamine, prostaglandins, leukotrienes, things like that. So when you have mast cell activation syndrome, they release these inflammatory chemicals when they shouldn't or they don't stop releasing them when they should. And it can cause you to be in this chronic inflammatory or allergic state. And you kind of feel like you're a bubble person. Like you literally feel like you're allergic to life, to the world, because you can get triggered by so many different things. So basically it's, it's where your body is, your immune system is hyperreactive and you're just in a constant allergy or inflammatory state. Is there any, um, and I don't even know if you know this offhand, is there any rough estimate, like how many people are getting diagnosed with this? And then uh, even better question, how many people do you just think in general are dealing with this that maybe don't have a diagnosis? Yeah, it, 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 right. And I think from what I've seen in the research, they estimate around 17% of the population are diagnosed with this condition, right? Wow. But the pro And it affects women significantly more than men, 75% to 25%. And I think that has to do with our hormones, which we can, you know, sex hormones, which we can talk about in a bit. But um, in terms of are there other people dealing with it without a diagnosis, a 1000% because it can be tricky to get one. Uh, because you have to is they've sort of changed how they diagnose the condition over the years. It's only been around since 2007 as a sort of named condition. And so doctors today diagnose it using something called consensus two criteria. And what that means is that you have symptoms that are affecting at least two organ systems in your body mm -hmm. that you have, you've ruled out other conditions that could be the cause of those symptoms. And you've run lab testing and you've tested high levels of certain mast cell mediators like tryptase or histamine or leukotrienes and, you know, that kind of thing. And so the problem is that testing is tricky because you could have normal labs and still have MCAS. Those mediators, they're hard to test for and they have a sort of short half-life in the body. So you kind of have to be in a flare when you do the test. And so it's very possible for you to have lab work that's normal and still have the condition. And sometimes physicians will diagnose you based on symptoms alone, um, but it can be hard for some people to find practitioners willing to do that or find practitioners in their area that will run this type of testing on them and that kind of stuff. So to answer your question, I think there are a lot of people that are dealing with some degree of mast cell activation, particularly post COVID uh, that don't have a diagnosis. Yeah, I remember, I think it was actually our first podcast, if I'm remembering correctly, where I didn't even realize it could be diagnosed at all. I thought this was like a functional yeah. uh, medicine type of term. So 2007, so then 10 years ago for you, about so you were probably actually within a first group of people to really receive a diagnosis. And yeah, and that was why it was so challenging in a lot of ways, because like my first, like you didn't have to convince me, I was already in the holistic health space and I was already doing nutrition work. So you didn't have to convince me about like the power of that, like a functional health and healing. But I kept searching far and wide for somebody to help me, somebody to help guide me. Nobody was talking about it. There were very few practitioners, even in the traditional medical world too, that were familiar with it. Nobody was. So I'd show up in front of them and they wouldn't know what to do with me, whether it was a holistic practitioner or a traditional medical practitioner. So that's what was so frustrating at the time is I really had to find my own way out of it for the most part.
Okay, and obviously I'm very excited, and I'm sure anyone who clicked on a title like this is very excited to talk about the solutioning, but um, I think this would actually segue perfectly in. I'm very interested in what you believe or know um, causes this, because you said a few specific things already. You got this vaccination. There's a clear association. This is not a nocebo effect, right? Obviously, right. you had severe, yeah, no. severe life-changing yep. symptoms from it, but you also acknowledged um, that is not the only cause that it could possibly no. be triggered by. And you also mentioned other things that were going on that you believe contributed. So why does this happen? What's the theory or what's the knowing? Yeah, so there's different forms of it. There's one form that's called monoclonal MCAS, which is they call it primary MCAS. It's a more rare form of it. And that actually has a genetic component to it. It means that you have a mutation in something called your 816B gene. And so you're kind of, that affects your how your mast cells grow and proliferate and all that kind of stuff. But that's more rare. The majority of people have a form of it called secondary MCAS or another form called idiopathic, which just means we don't know why it's happening. Uh, but a lot of people have secondary MCAS and it's like the name says, it's secondary to something else. There's something underneath that's causing your mast cells to activate. And it could be so many different things. So it could be some type of infection, whether it's a gut infection or a systemic infection, like mold is a huge one, Lyme is a huge one. Um, it could be triggered by medications, temperature, um, underlying autoimmune or inflammatory conditions. And so it can really run the gamut. There's so many different things that trigger your mast cells in part because your mast cells have so many different receptor sites on them for so many different things, like for how to deal with pathogens, um, allergic reactions, your sex hormones, your stress hormones, medications. Um, so all of those kind of things can affect your mast cells. Okay. So obviously it's at least somewhat similar to many of these chronic illnesses that we're seeing where it's like, what doesn't cause it, right? Our crappy right. Modern world, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the things yeah. that we're, we're doing. And then I, you, I think you saw this in the AFDNP group. I just at least consciously experienced mold for the first time. And that was a yeah. crazy thing. And, and I'm healthy, man. I take care of myself. I'm on the other yeah. side of this. I cannot even imagine what that would be like if I was, you know, 15 years ago, Ev, eating like crap, you know, yeah. up late, like, whoa. So, okay, a lot of causal things here. Um, but I would love to talk about the solutioning because- not only can anyone just probably hear, I know that you must be in a better place, but I'm watching on video and I, I could be wrong. It almost looks like you're in a hotel. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> okay. I'm guessing that someone that was down to four foods at one point could not even survive in a hotel with all the chemicals yeah. and fragrances that they use. So you've made some progress here. So what the heck works for this? Because it's a pretty serious condition. Yeah, it, it can be. It can be a very serious condition. And at the time, I, I mean, if you told me I would be sitting in a hotel room and, you know, working different jobs, I thought I would, they made it seem like I would be on disability, sort of <laughs> shriveling in a corner, you know, living out my life. So just to be in a place now where I'm fully functioning, my life is full and normal and, and wonderful. And I get to work with all of you wonderful people at FDN uh, is really amazing. So <sighs> The thing about MCAS is it's so highly individualized for people, right? So there's so many different factors that can be in play. And so the key is uh, to investigate and see what those pieces are for you. So, and that's where FDN, that methodology comes in so beautifully because that's what we do, right? We're health detectives and we go in and we look for those imbalances. But the main things that I would say for people to look at are genetics, hormone imbalances, um, gut health and the nervous system regulation, and then your diet and rest and all that kind of other stuff. So I don't know if you want to dive into each of those things or... We got 
you know, at least uh, right around 30, 32 minutes in the show. Not that it's strict, but like right around that. So I would love to dive into each of those things because it's actually quite rare in a certain sense that someone comes on this show and lists genetics as being a component of the condition. But it sounds like it's actually a pretty essential here. Not that there's not more to it or that's an ultimatum. Um, but you've mentioned that a few times. And if someone's listening to you for the first time talk just in these 20 minutes, they can tell. Yeah, you're. Again, I mentioned earlier, not a dummy, but you obviously know your stuff. Like you're just rattling off these terms like it's nothing, like you've said them a million times. So <laughs> mm-hmm. there's some validity to what you're saying, I would bet. Where's the genetic component come in? Again, not an ultimatum, but what, what does that look like? No, and, and what it is, it's so there are different genetic factors that can be associated with MCAS. So you have certain genetic SNPs that can affect your mast cells and activating them. So there's that kit gene that we talked about, which is involved in your body producing too many mast cells. There are things called NOx genes, which is NADPH oxidase. And that um, has to do with how your body gets rid of pathogens. So if you have certain genetic SNPs that upregulate that, that can trigger your mast cells to be more hyperactive. You can have certain genetic SNPs that have to do with your ability to absorb vitamin D, which is a mast cell stabilizer, or how you convert inactive to active vitamin A, which is also a mast cell stabilizer. So you have these things. There are also SNPs that have to do with how your body breaks down histamine. So you have things like AVP1 or AOC1, which makes your DAO enzyme to break down histamine in the gut. Um, you have an HNMT gene, which codes for the HNMT enzyme, which breaks down histamine in other parts of the body, and that needs SAMe for methylation. Um, you have histamine decarboxylase, which is the enzyme that makes histamine from the amino acid histidine. So you have all these different factors that can be in play. Now, here's the thing, though. Like you said, it's I hate when people treat their genes. Like, I, I this is just a blueprint for where your potential weak spots are. It doesn't tell you the status of where you're at right now. So don't, if you have a SNP, don't go out and start, you know, pumping yourself full of vitamin D because you have that SNP. It just, it just means that's a potential weak spot for you. But the value in looking at your genetics is it can help point you in the right direction. It can help sort of training where to focus, right? So if you know where those weak spots are, you can then go in and do some lab work and see what's actually going on in your body at the time. So that's how genetics, I think, can can play a part. Okay, and I'm trying to remember everything else you said. I know the gut was part of it. I think hormones, and then I think we had the regulation of the nervous system. So whichever is next (laughs) for you, you feel free. Yeah, I mean, we can do hormones. I mean, that's a big piece, and it's so funny, and I think I said this to you last time. I never really thought about that in the very beginning. I was so focused on the reactions, the reactions, calming the reactions, but I never really looked at my stress and sex hormones at first, and that was a huge part of healing for me, and it has been for many of my clients as well, and so... In terms of stress, your stress hormones, stress is a huge trigger for MCAS. It really, really is. And the reason is that when you're under chronic stress, whether it's physical or emotional, your hypothalamus produces something called corticotropin-releasing hormone, or CRH. And that eventually tells your your adrenal glands to make and and send out some cortisol to deal with that stress. But the other thing that CRH does is it also triggers your mast cells to degranulate and release those inflammatory chemicals because your mast cells actually have CRH receptors on them. And so your mast cells are very sensitive to stress. Hmm. So when your mast cells release those chemicals like histamine, 
that triggers the release of more cortisol, which drives up CRH, causing more mast cell degranulation, and it becomes this chronic loop. And the other piece is that cortisol is anti-inflammatory, and it can be a mast cell stabilizer because it counters the inflammation your mast cells cause. But when you're under that chronic stress, as you know, like as it continues on and on and on, your body can't keep up with that cortisol production. So your levels drop and diminish. And now your inflammation drives up because you, you can no longer counter the effects of your mast cells constantly releasing those chemicals. So managing your stress is a huge part of recovering from MCAS for a lot of people. So looking at your stress and uh, sex hormones is key, which we do. That's part of what we do as FDNs. So, and then on the other side of it with your sex hormones, that can also, like I was saying earlier, it affects women significantly more than men. And I think that's due in large part because of the differences in our sex hormones and your mast cells have receptor sites on them for sex hormones. So they're sensitive to those hormonal imbalances. And so when your estrogen is out of balance, like say you're in estrogen dominance, that triggers your mast cells to release histamine, which increases in those increased histamine levels cause more estrogen production, then you get into this histamine estrogen loop. And then on the flip side of it, your progesterone and testosterone are mast cell stabilizers, right? So keeping that in balance can go a long way in helping uh, with your symptoms as well. And the other thing that your sex hormones do is they play a part in how your DAO or your diamine oxidase, which is that enzyme that helps break down histamine in the gut, how that gets regulated. So if you're running high estrogen, as an example, that can sort of inhibit your DAO. And, and in contrast, if you're running high progesterone, that can help boost your DAO levels. So those, balancing those sex hormones out can be a really big piece for people as well. Very cool. All right. I mean, I know we could probably do a three-hour podcast on that, but just to kind of yeah. – each of these have been really awesome golden nuggets, especially if I'm suffering with this and listening. Um, I'm very yeah. happy right now. <laughs> so – um, I'd love to move on to the gut stuff because I think the nervous system regulation has a a particular – I'm thinking that's a huge part of this as I've learned more and more about it. So um, let's do the gut stuff next and then we can jump to that. So you mentioned even pathogen eradication and certain issues genetically that might inhibit that a little bit and that could be an issue. So one of the things at FDN, uh, for those that don't know, that we're always looking for in our foundational labs are – pathogens, things that could show mm -hmm. up in the gut. So you'll find parasites, you'll find bacteria, you'll find otherwise healthy things that are overgrown or there's not enough of, there's a bunch of stuff. So um, how does that work specifically in this whole MCAS thing? Yeah, I have found in my practice that people with MCAS usually have some level of gut dysbiosis and leaky gut happening. And the reason is that you have a really large concentration of mast cells in your gut. And a lot of times people with MCAS also have histamine intolerance not everybody does. I have actually worked with a few clients who didn't, but it's usually an issue for people as well. And so you definitely wanna take a look at any potential underlying gut infections might, might be there, like you were saying, parasites, uh, H. pylori, yeast overgrowth, SIBO, all of those things are mast cell activators. And then there are also certain strains of opportunistic bacteria in your gut that are high histamine producers. So things like 
Citrobacter frondi or Morganella, Pseudomonas, Klebsiella. So if you have an overgrowth of some of those strains of opportunistic bacteria, that can be triggering your symptoms and driving up your histamine levels as well. And then you also want to consider those other infections that aren't limited to the gut that are more body-wide infections, like you were saying, mold and Lyme, heavy metals, um, viruses, like say Epstein-Barr, mm -hmm. but mold and Lyme are definitely the ones that I see the most often with people. So yeah, gut health is key for people. One thing I, I want to ask before we get to the nervous system regulation, just before I forget if I can, um, and this might be an ignorant question, so for, forgive me if it is, but I'm hearing the significantly more prevalent in women. Um, I'm hearing about the hormonal side. I'm hearing about you anecdotally seeing that leaky gut is a huge component of all of this. Mystery symptoms, different for everyone that deals with it. Is there an overlap here, a known overlap with autoimmunity or anything like that? Because there's just so many components yeah. here that it, it sounds like that almost. Yeah, it's been associated with so many different types of conditions. But yeah, definitely autoimmune, uh, like Crohn's, IBD, IBS, all of those types of conditions, um, uh, SIRS. Uh, there's so many different ones, Ehlers-Danlos, POTS, um, even diabetes, obesity, all. Of it. So yes, to answer your question, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Interesting. So, all right, moving on to the nervous system regulation thing then. I think this one is worth, we can dive kind of deep on it because I think it's overlooked and I fully admit I'm yeah. one of those people, right? Just because you, it's hard to get almost, right? I look at a yeah. lab, I see the science and the numbers and stuff. That makes sense to me. Some of the nervous system regulation things are are confusing and yes, it's scientific, but you're also mixing a lot more emotional awareness in there. There's a lot of things. So what the heck does that mean to regulate the nervous system? And then um, we could talk about the how after that, but yeah, what does that mean? And why is that a huge component um, or just as huge as genetics, gut stuff? <laughs> yeah. So it's, Yes. So I guess let me back up by sort of explaining how it plays a part in your stress response. So your body's stress response actually starts in the limbic system in your brain. And that's when, you know, you perceive a threat. So your limbic system kind of looks around internally in your body and outside of your body. And it sort of assesses what's going on. Like, are, am I under a threat right now? Mm -hmm. And so when it perceives a threat, it sends a signal to you to your autonomic nervous system. And that starts the stress response in your body. And so stressors that you face, like traumas, infections, those pathogens, a chemical or a toxin exposure like mold, can cause your limbic system to become overreactive. It basically, the switch gets stuck on that threat mode. And so when that limbic system becomes impaired, it constantly sends your autonomic nervous system these distress signals. And that causes your stress response to kick in, which you know triggers your cortisol and your adrenaline and all that kind of stuff. And then your autonomic nervous system sends stress signals back to the brain and it creates this negative feedback loop between the brain and the body. And over time you become sensitive to more and more things because the limbic system no longer accurately assesses what's an actual threat. And your limbic system also stores memories around emotions. So sometimes, so let's say Evan, like with mold, like as an example for you. So you have this mold issue and let's say you recovered from it. 
But if you went into a room that maybe had a little bit of mold or smelled like a little musty or something like that, if you have an impaired limbic system, even though you're not under threat in that moment, it's perceiving it based off of your former experience sure. where you had that really, right? So your immune system's like, oh my God, so threat. So that's what happens a lot of times for people with MCAS is that we get stuck in that limbic system threat response, right? And so what do you do about it? Like, how do you retrain your, or regulate your nervous yep. system? Right? Like, cause it's like, oh, that's great, but what do I do? So a lot of times people will use, you have to approach it from both ends. So you have to approach it from brain to body and then body to brain. So in terms of how to approach brain to body, it's doing limbic retraining programs. And there's things like DNRS or the Gupta program or Primal Trust, which I really like. Um, and that's gonna help rewire your limbic system and create new neural pathways so that you can walk into a room full of mold and not get triggered and not go into, you know, DEFCON 5 because your body's thinking it's a threat, right? So there's that piece. And then the other piece working from the body to brain up is through vagal toning. So you know, your vagus nerve is a really important piece here because it actually regulates your parasympathetic nervous system, that rest, digest, and heal response that can actually help stabilize your mast cells. And so when your nervous system's dysregulated, um, you know, your body keeps perceiving those threats that aren't there, then your vagus nerve doesn't end up activating your parasympathetic response like it should to end that stress loop. So what would normally happen is you experience a stressor, you go through the stress response, you, you know, the stressors resolved, then you switch into that parasympathetic healing mode, and then you move on with your life. But that doesn't happen when you're your limbic systems dysregulate. So you're in that constant stress loop. And so your vagus nerve never gets to turn it on. So if you do exercises that help stimulate that vagus nerve, make sure it has good tone and all that, that could be really helpful. And so there's lots of different exercises you can do for that. You can do even really simple things like humming or singing in the shower. Some people will use cold water therapy. Um, some people will use safe and sound, breathing techniques, all of that kind of stuff. There's lots of different things that you can do around that. But it's important to do both pieces. So you wanna work on rewiring those neural pathways, but also stimulating and strengthening that vagus nerve and you know, making sure that your parasympathetic uh, response can step in. Okay. And, and this, obviously, this question is just to educate the listeners. I'm not literally challenging you. I guess it's, it's so yeah. hard for some of us that are more left-brained, I suppose, to understand. So, like, what is, if any, like, what is the main science behind this that, like, I'm going to hum in the shower and that's going to help a condition as serious as this, especially when you compare it, you know, next to all these other things. So, and you did fully acknowledge that this is not the only thing, right? But yep. um, obviously people aren't just coming up with this out of nowhere. So, what is the, the th science or thought behind why this so works? Yeah. So in terms of that, I think the vibration from the humming and the singing actually stimulates your vagus nerve into, into action. So I think that's where those different uh, exercises come into play. Okay. And so, yeah, that specifically, but yeah, there's a lot of breath work that you can do like alternate, <laughs> alternate nostril breathing, resonant breathing, all of that kind of stuff Very can be really supportive as well. 
We did have a comment here. Is it safe for individuals with autoimmune to do cold water therapy? Yeah, that's a that's a wild card one. So particularly with people with MCAS, it's not something that I would recommend that you start off doing. And some people might even just use cold water and splash it on their face, you know, something. But if you're somebody that's sensitive to temperature, which can be a mast cell trigger for people, so extreme, you know, too hot or too cold can can trigger your mast cells. So that one isn't something that I would recommend that you start with if you have MCAS, but some people use it. So it's, it depends on Tracy. It's hard to say without knowing you and what you have going on and in your situation specifically, but sure. I might try some of the other, other um, methods first before that. Yeah. And uh, of course, not medical advice by any means, none of yeah. this is, but um, I love what you mentioned about the face thing, because that actually doesn't get talked about enough. You see it, people like me sometimes too, so I'm guilty of this, but you know, getting on Instagram and jumping into the lake when it's 30 degrees, but yeah. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you would know this. I think it's called what? The mammalian dive reflex. It's actually, yeah. Okay. so you can trigger that by just getting that cold water on your face. And obviously it's not as intense or severe right, as exactly. jumping into a lake in the middle of winter. And so you can build these things up over time, but yeah. it, it's interesting. It's an interesting question about the autoimmune side and the cold therapy side because my mom, when she was kind of in the midst of all her health stuff and before I knew about any of this, she yeah. was quite physically debilitated a lot of the times. But what was strange is we live in Pennsylvania, so you get all four seasons and you certainly get winter. And yeah. I remember my dad and I came home one time and she was out there shoveling like a mad woman saying that she felt fantastic. And what, I, what I'm getting at is, I mean, this is my theory, but so much of autoimmune is you know, intense inflammation throughout the whole body. And I'm like, huh, I, I just, I had this revelation later. I'm like, I wonder if by her going out there, it's basically this giant ice box that's kind of actually making her feel better. Yeah. So all of a sudden she goes from in the hell yeah. doing like crap to out here, superwoman again. <laughs> yeah, definitely possible. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Or yeah, just really love shoveling snow. Who knows? So you, you talked about how this can look really different for everyone. Um, and we also talked about the very real reality, which is a reality for many conditions, that probably it's very underdiagnosed and there's many people walking around uh, with these things. So how would you, again, without it being legitimate advice per se, but how, what advice would you give, I suppose, to people, but not medical advice, what advice yeah. would you give to people out there who maybe suspect that this is what they have? They can't get the diagnosis. Um, they know it looks different for everyone. Like, are there common symptoms that you see more often than not associated with this? Well, usually it's funny. Like I, I found people fall into two camps. There's the anaphylactic camp and then there's the non-anaphylactic camp. And so uh, some common symptoms that people will experience are flushing, hives, skin issues, things like that. A lot of times people will also experience GI symptoms because you have that high concentration of mast cells in your gut. So things like abdominal pain, cramping, uh, constipation, diarrhea, all of that. Um, and then some people can experience things like um, neurological symptoms, anxiety, depression, all of that kind of stuff. It can really affect any system in your body. So you can have musculoskeletal issues. Um, yeah, it just runs across the board. But I think most often I find skin and digestive issues and neuro issues to be the most common. It, you know, it's funny you bring that up because uh, we had a woman named Jen Donovan on the podcast who did a, a phenomenal episode on um, MCAS. And when I listened to your story, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this sucks so bad. I'm so sorry she went through this. And I, I didn't really relate. When I listened to Jen's story about her experience with it, I'm like, oh, this is me. Like I, I was hearing so many things that yeah. overlap. So I guess that's my biggest thing here too is anaphylaxis is kind of hard to ignore and, you know, medical, uh, 
Western medicine is going to take that very seriously with the other things that you're dealing with. I mean, like, again, how does someone necessarily know that it's something like maybe they're walking around right now thinking that, oh, well, I just have these skin issues. I just have these gut issues. Like, I guess what I'm trying to extract out if there even is an answer is when does it when is it not just a skin issue or a gut issue and it becomes something more like um, mast cell activation syndrome? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's it, it starts to take over different organ systems in the body. And it also is just different for you. If you find all of a sudden that now you've become hypersensitive to a lot of different things mm-hmm. that you weren't, you know, last month or last year, that can be a clue. It's not just like, oh, I have a skin issue. It's like now I can't tolerate a lot of things. Mm. Temperature, exercise, foods I'm eating, supplements I'm taking, water I'm drinking, whatever it is, it's usually an accumulation of things where you just in general become more reactive to a lot of things. And now all of a sudden, I can't go out to a restaurant. I can't, you know, I can't hang out with my friends at a bar or drink alcohol, whatever it is. It's usually that sort of progression of becoming more and more sensitive in general to a lot of things. Thank you. That's kind of what I was looking for. I was looking for that real differentiator for people. So now they know, you know, it's yeah. not the only thing I'm sure, but it's something to look out for. And it's really interesting because again, thank God we got out of the moldy apartment um, when we did. I, I'm, I'm yeah. feeling pretty good. Like this is not going to be a major thing for me by any means. But, but while we were there that I thank God I'm an FDN too, because I'm thinking I'm always wearing my body and I'm watching exactly. what's happening. And I found it astounding that for the last several years of my life, I had been increasing uh, the workload and exercise that I could do. So there was a point where, you know, I'm, I'm doing some boxing, I'm doing pickleball, I'm doing weightlifting, yeah. <laughs> I'm working all the time, and I'm actually doing okay because I have these other areas of my life completely nailed down, felt great, slept great, all this stuff. And then very quickly, I saw a decline specifically in uh, my capacity um, yes. for exercise tolerance yes. with the mold stuff. I was like, what is going on here? I'm down to, and I know, I, I don't mean to be you know, for some people, they'd kill to be able to do what I'm about to say. But for me, it was yeah. abnormal. I very quickly got down to only being able to do uh, the three sessions of strength training every week. And if I had added in something as stupid as pickleball, it's like I'm not recovering. Yeah. I knew I wasn't recovering. So yeah. I definitely I didn't know what it was at the time, but I knew something right. didn't add up. It didn't make sense. Exactly. That's usually what it is. It's something similar to that, mm-hmm. where it's just all of a sudden you just become the goalpost moves for you. Like you, you don't have that threshold that you normally have for those things. It's a good rule of thumb, I guess, in health in general, if that ever happens, you don't know that something's not making sense. Right. Yeah. Um, With all this said, you know, the FDN system might not actually be uh, something that people are familiar with. If they're listening to this, they might've listened for the title saying that we're going to talk about MCAS, which we certainly did. How does the FDN system mix into all of these things for, let's say the lay person that might be unfamiliar because they're listening to you hearing your story and they're like, holy cow. I mean, she certainly doesn't have brain fog anymore. That's for sure. Um, (laughs) So you learned all this stuff. You're helping all these people. You've helped yourself. And the FDN system was obviously very important for you. So how does that look for someone that might be dealing with this, but doesn't know anything about it? Yeah, I think, well, the whole approach of using the functional labs first and foremost is key because it helps you dig deeper and look at your gut, look at your hormone levels, look at how you're digesting your food, how your body's handling stress, all of those kind of things through the functional labs that we use at FDN help you identify the specific pieces to your puzzle. Because like we just said, like you you had uh, someone telling their story of MCAS that's different than mine, right? And it resonates. So we have to look at what's affecting you specifically. And so that's like key with FDN and those functional labs. The other thing is a lot of times 
you know, we forget about the basics and how much healing and movement we can get from diet, rest, exercise, stress reduction, and all of those things. So in terms of diet, a lot of times practitioners will, you know, just say, okay, go eat a low histamine diet and then you'll be good. And it's a great place to start for people. But a lot of times it's not the end story for people in terms of diet. You might have other things going on like oxalates, lectins, salicylates, sulfur sensitivity, uh, FODMAPs, all of that kind of stuff. So using that FDN framework to, to dig deeper into those issues can be extremely supportive. It was for me. So for example, I had an issue with oxalates, never even knew it, never thought about it until I did those functional labs on myself. And I was like, oh my God, I'm eating, I'm eating low histamine, but I'm also eating high oxalate. And, and once I made that adjustment, that helped move me forward significantly. So that can be a piece with diet. Um, in terms of rest, you know, that's super important because a lot of times people with MCAS have um, issues with sleep, issues with staying asleep, falling asleep, insomnia, all of those types of things. And that has to do in part with histamine and the role that it plays in your sleep-wake cycle. So helping um, get into a healthy sleep pattern and sleep hygiene is super, super important. Um, exercise is also important. It can be a mast cell trigger for some people. And there's, there's like research connecting exercise and mast cell degranulation. So um, working on exercising, making, it sh making sure it's, it's appropriate for you and what you have going on is important. Cleaning up your environment is huge. Um, you know, studies have found a link between MCAS and environmental sensitivities. So um, making sure that you have clean water, clean air, you don't have mold in your home, you're using beauty products, personal care products, cleaning products that are safe and natural and healthy can be huge for people as well. EMF is enormous. There's a connection between EMF exposure and mast cell activation. So um, making sure that you limit your EMF exposure can be important. And, you know, also supplements are a key, and that's a, a key component of dress, the dress approach that we use in FDN. And, and it can be a great tool if you tolerate them. You know, a lot of times people with MCAS don't tolerate supplements very well, if at all, in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, so, but if you can experiment with natural mast cell stabilizers, natural antihistamines, uh, gut supports, hormone balancing uh, supports, that can go a long way for people as well. I, that was one thing that Jen Donovan had mentioned with the supplement thing. I'm like, the, look, hindsight's 2020, so I guess I won't actually ever fully know because I feel, thankfully, other than this mold thing, uh, terrific today. But that was another thing I always thought was odd, too. Like, I wasn't responding uh, to a lot yeah. of these things as well as others. Yeah. I took, you know, biocidin, obviously. Um, clearly, we try to work people up to almost 15 to 30 drops a day. I was at three total drops. So one, 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 and flu-like symptoms breaking out. I mean, oh, yeah. it was, it was awful. And I'm like, how are people getting to this, uh, to this level with this stuff? We did have one more audience question here. Can a surgery trigger MCAS? Yeah, absolutely. Any kind of trauma. And that could be a physical trauma, emotional trauma, mental trauma. Trauma is a big piece of it that I don't think we, we think about or acknowledge as much, but yes, to answer your question, it can. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Well, Nicole, as we wrap up here, I would love to know where the heck can people find you? Because yes, you work for FDN, but you also take clients. Um, if I'm listening to this and I have this condition or suspect I do, the first person I'm calling is you. So um, where can, <laughs> that was a nice rhyme. <laughs> I didn't realize I wasn't, that wasn't intentional. Yeah. Um, where can people find you, my friend? Sure. You can find me. I have a website. It's www.forginghealth.com and social media, same handle at Forging Health on Instagram and Facebook.
Very cool. So I, you know I finished with the signature question here, which admittedly I did ask you once before, um, but I cannot remember what your answer was now. And I've already done an episode that I will, I will never do this again. I came up with a very stupid idea at episode 200 to extract all those answers and then put them into like a three-part series. Uh, so that will never happen again. So I might as well <laughs> ask you once more just to keep it fresh. If we could give you a magic wand and you could wave it and get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health. So for the audience, we're just talking generally now, general health stuff. You can get us to do one thing or you can make us all stop doing one thing. What is the oh, one thing that Nicole gets us to do for our health? doing one thing. Uh, I don't remember what I said last time, but what I will say this time is uh, eat whole foods. <laughs> I think that's key. Food is medicine. Um, but the other thing that I would say and this kind of doesn't quite answer your question, but I think that one thing people have to sort of get with is that you have to co-create your own health, right? So like we were talking about in the beginning of like, we get a diagnosis, we want someone to fix us and ultimately nobody can fix you and you have to do your own healing work, which sucks when you're in the facing a chronic illness or you're with MCAS because you don't feel well and you just want to feel better. But ultimately you have to do your own healing work. You have to choose what you eat, what environment you live in and all of that good stuff. So I would say actively participate in your health. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure we'll bring you on once again in another 50 episodes just to, uh, we need to preserve this brain at FDA. This is a good brain and we need to extract everything we can from it um, when we have the privilege of doing so on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Evan. 